So welcome to the George Coons for the NFL Hall of Fame podcast. This is Matt Coons, and I am here with my father, George Coons. And for those of you who don't know, I, I live in Georgia, and, and my dad lives in Las Vegas. And, and uh, we're glad we can talk to each other talking about football. So, Dad, how you doing? Doing pretty good, man. How about you? Okay, I'm I'm doing this differently. I'm actually in a in a park right now, um, where we have two football fields, and and uh, you know, it's fun just being in the sports environment while we do this. So it's been great. So last time we we had some great podcasts that have been going on, and some fans have been uh, asking some questions for you, and and I do have a bunch of them. We might want to go down the list if you if you're okay with that. Just kind of running through just some of the experiences that you had while you were playing ball. Oh sure, not a problem. That'd be great. Okay. So the the first question is going to come from someone who's very important to both you and me, and that is my wife Radonna and your daughter-in-law. Um, and she she specifically wanted to know when did you meet Hank Aaron? I uh, when we were the coaches All American game was a, a game that was held in Atlanta in 1969. I think it was in June, right around that time. And during that period of time, the uh, they had Atlanta Stadium, which was right there where 75 and 85 came together with I-20. And it's, it was the old stadium, but they built that so that they could attract the Braves to town. Well, the Falcons used that stadium in the first few years, obviously that. Uh, that uh, it was available. But uh, before one of the uh, Brave games, uh, the uh, they decided that it would be a good idea to promote the Coaches All-American game by having the guys who played for both teams on that Coaches All-American game uh, to have a, a signing session for people who wanted autographs. And we were paired up with uh, a Brave. So that uh, they're against the back wall of the stadium, where uh, obviously the the uh, we would be standing, and so there would be a couple of the players, one from each side on the coaches' all American game, and one of the Braves. So I had the the good fortune of being paired since I was Atlanta's first round draft pick that year with Hank Aaron, and the other guy was Paul Gibson, who was the second round draft choice. So we had okay. a time and had a great opportunity to meet to meet Hank, who turned out to be a great guy. Uh, later on, several years later, I did have a chance, and I was very flattered. I saw somebody honking at me as I was walking down the street and waving, and it happened to be Hank. So we had lunch together, and uh, he was just everything you could expect to, to be of a, of a great major leaguer and a great person. So I had a great experience. I really enjoyed Hank, considered him a friend. Oh, great. Well, great. And... Um... Let's see here. I had another uh, another guy, Anthony Incoming. He had a bunch of questions. Um, he he has a letter from Burt Jones, who said, "Let's go eat at Little Italy," <laughs> and and uh, he wanted to know if if you and and some of the Colts had memories of Little Italy when you were in Baltimore. Oh sure, we had uh, we we go to Little Italy uh, every once in a while. Your mom and I enjoy the Italian food there. Uh, Next to the uh, uh, the blue crab, which was absolutely great too. Uh, Little Italy was a great spot to be. They treated you very well, and it was very. It was sort of a family-owned business kind of area. It was a lot of fun to be there. Well, great, and yeah, there, he mentioned some restaurants like Sabatino's or Bellagio's or Chipparelli's. 
Um, I remember, I remember, yeah, I remember Sabatino. That was great. <laughs> well, good. Um, and and there was oh gosh, this is one too. Um, he wanted to know your story of the plane that crashed in Memorial Stadium. Oh geez, well we were you know obviously it was a, it was a playoff game, and uh, we got beat. I think it was Pittsburgh that beat us that time, and we were inside. But I guess there was uh, somebody had decided or he had a bet. They may have had a few drinks, but he had a bet that he could actually land in Memorial Stadium and then take off again. Uh, and we were thank God all the players and the fans were uh, had left the stadium, and this guy came around to the open end of the stadium. And the idea was that he was going to touch down, just touch his wheels on the stadium ground and then take off again. But what he didn't have the power to do in his plane, when he touched down, his, his wheels hit the ground, but he didn't have enough power to make it over the top of the stadium. And he ended up turning over and crashing in the upper deck. The interesting thing about that was his plane crashed right where, right around where the wides would be sitting when they were watching the ball game. So we're delighted we're delighted that uh it didn't happen during the game and I'm that and that uh, although the guy the plane was wrecked, the guy wasn't seriously hurt. But uh it's just, you know, doing stuff like that's just ridiculous. Yeah, sports is uh there's all kinds. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But we're just glad our wives weren't hurt. Yeah, otherwise I wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so, do you, do you have memories of the Colt Band? The Colt Band, oh, definitely. Yeah, they were. You know, I, would, I think we were the only team in the league that actually had a band at that time, <laughs> and they were they were great. They really enjoyed it. I don't know if they were paid or not. I don't think they were, but uh, they really got into it. It was a great uh, it was a great sight of Baltimore. I think to know that they had that much love for the team, uh, and they people just get out there and practice. Did a great job with it. So. It worked out well. Well, great. Um, so, so Hal in coming uh, is a great guy, but he has a, a question he wanted to ask you. Who is your the mentor of yours that influenced your football career the most, or what about your personal life? You know, what mentors you know impacted you the most, both in football and outside of it? Well, in, in football, I, you know, when I when I was in high school, I transferred to Loyola High School from a seminary, and I was in the seminary for two years. So there were no sports, no organized sports. You know, we had intramural stuff, but that was about it. But the, the guy in high school that influenced me the most was probably Bill Lenihan, who was my offensive line coach and defensive line coach. And Coach Len, I'll never forget the first day there, uh, uh, my going in my junior year, he would ask, he asked all the guys, well, what do you want to play, offense or defense? And then the more specific, what position do you want to play? And I'll never forget, he said, uh, okay, who wants to play end? And I raised my hand, and he looked at me and said, you're a tackle. And and that was it. That was, there was no other discussion. But he was, uh, and then the good thing about Coach Lenny, he was very patient. And, again, I'm starting out in high school as a junior playing football, so I was behind these other guys in terms of technique. But uh, he was very patient in terms of getting things done and uh, and had a, uh, a great method of teaching. And as a result of that, uh, I picked up things fairly quickly and was able to contribute to the team. I, the interesting story, and, and again, this is Coach Lahan, we were playing our first game 
against a high school called Miracosta, which is right there, obviously near the coast, uh, in one of the one of the towns not too far uh, in LA County, but close to the beach. And we had a young guy who was who was trying to play. He was a starter on defense, and uh, it just he was he was having a bad time, and uh, wasn't you know was getting was getting blocked pretty consistently. So at halftime, Coach Lenihan went to our head coach, and I saw him talking. And the next thing you know, the head coach called me over and said, do you think you can fill in if we put you in instead of this other kid? And I said, well, I'll try. And uh, they did put me in, and things worked out better. I had a chance to play. It, it seemed to, to put a stop to what they were doing. And then from then on, I was a starter on defense. So that was the first big break, and that's because of Bill Lenihan and his uh, wanting to go up and just and thank God he went up to the coach and said, look, give this kid a shot. And uh, that's the kind of faith he had in me. So I'm glad I was able to prove it. So when did you – so you were on defense in high school. When did you move to offense? Uh, well, we actually we had – the guy that played in front of me uh, on offense was a guy named Don Swartz. And Don went on to Stanford with a scholarship. He was a great player. He was the CIF, or California Interscholastic Federation, player of the year as an offensive and defensive tackle. And then Don went to uh, Stanford. But, uh, again, I had a chance to watch Don, and I backed him up on offense and, and played with him on defense. And then the next year, uh, I played both offense and defense, taking over Don's spot uh, on offense along with on defense. So uh, that was that was the guy that – and I would sit and watch Don for uh, all practice long if I wasn't practicing and if I was sitting in the back and just watching things happen. And I learned a lot just by watching him and the technique he used. But he was a great ball player and deservedly got scholarships. Well, great. Uh, so I have another question here from Chris in Baltimore. And uh, he said 1976, I think it was, you guys had a big win against the Patriots that weekend. Um, and he always thought that was the biggest win that you guys had due to the circumstances because the loss could have had a huge impact on the season, you know, what was it like to, you know, play for a team that was, you know, had to win the division in order to make the playoffs because there were fewer teams that made the playoffs? Yeah, it's, uh, well, you knew you had to win, and that was basically it. It's, uh, it's, it's, you, you prepare for games the same way. Um, and you're, hopefully you're ready. Coaches do a great job of getting you ready, especially for what they call a second season, which is the playoffs. But, uh, you know, you, I, I, it's hard to imagine getting more up for a game because theoretically you get up for every game. So if there's there is no additional incentive. You you want to win. You know the stakes, and you just put all that stuff together. But to say you actually come out and are more prepared for a playoff game and more excited about a playoff game, no, that you're excited about every time every time you're on the field. And you just realize the stakes are a little higher. And from that standpoint, uh, you know, you just go, you proceed to do what you know you need to do and what you've been trained to do. And the important thing to remember is you remember your technique, you remember the plays, you remember why you're doing what you're doing, then you just put it all together. Um, Chris also asked, he, he asked the question, and I know, you know, there was a controversy, I guess, in the 1976 season surrounding the start of that year um, with Ted, Joe Thomas, and, of course, Ursay. 
and didn't know if you would ever want to touch on that. Well, I, I know that uh, there was, and I'm not too sure of the year. I know we uh, we had a problem. We had a, a, a preseason game in Detroit, and after uh, that game, I think we lost. It was a play. It was it was a preseason game, <clears throat> and, and we uh, we lost the game. And, and Bob came in to address the team in the locker room, and and Ted didn't like what he said, so Ted said he resigned. And the, and the team. Uh, that week backed Ted in terms of what was going on. Uh, it, it, we, it, we knew that, you know, that it, Ted was doing the right thing and as, as ball players, we knew he was and we fit, we thought that Mr. Ursay was, you just didn't know the whole story, but we tried to back Ted in what he did and, and, and they reconciled and we actually got back together and I think we won the first regular season game that weekend that we played after that. So they were, you know, I, I think it just comes from the fact that Bob Ursay just didn't know how things worked at that time. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ted took offense and, uh, and stepped aside. But when he, when he came right back to it, everybody got back together and we had another successful run and made the playoffs. But that was, uh, that was basically it. It was just when, when you're not too sure, uh, what the team needs and, but the head coach is, then there's a discrepancy between ownership and uh, and and coaching, and and that's what showed up in that game. But it was reconciled later on. Was that the year you grew the beard? Uh, you know what? That may have been, but that was later <laughs> on the season. And we all we did that. The offensive line did it. <laughs> the uh, <clears throat> our, our our offensive line coach Whitey Duvall had white hair, obviously, but he always had a beard, and we did that to honor our. Offensive line coach because we thought so much of Whitey and, uh, he did such a great job for us. So, uh, in honor, in order to honor our own offensive line coach, uh, we all grew beards and I think Bert tried to grow one, but it just sort of came in spotty. <laughs> but anyway, we, we refer to him as a smaller offensive lineman, but, uh, yeah, all the guys grew the beard and, uh, we did that to honor our offensive line coach. And and then you had to shave that off when I think Grandma Tommy told you to, right? Your mom. Well, no, I uh, you know, mom, my mom didn't necessarily like the idea of my <laughs> having a beard. I explained to her why and said, "Look, you know, we're coming down to see you at Christmas time. Uh, I'm going to have the beard probably because I I can't shave it off. Uh, I want to wait until we get back to Arizona. But uh, I said, if you don't want us to come, that's fine." But uh, we would like to be there, but you're going to have to see me with a beard, and I hope that's okay. And, and she relented, and we all had a great Christmas anyway, but that's that's the way it went. And, I, again, we did it to honor the coach that we really respected, and that was Whitey Duvall. Sure, sure. Um, okay, so let me think. I'm looking for other questions here. Um, let's see here. Plane crash, we talked about that. Cold band. You know, okay. Face masks. You know, obviously, you had you played in a in a different era where face masks were different, and with a lot of talk about CTE and things like that. You know, what do you think? Um, what do you think about the whole face mask helmet CTE? You know, discussion with football in general. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, number one, I'm glad they're doing something about concussion and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. You know, that's something that uh, if you know guys that have that issue it's it's devastating it's not only devastating to the guy but it's devastating to his family and uh from that standpoint you know that the league is trying to do the right thing i hope i know they've got different you see different helmets 
on different people. Quarterbacks wear a different one than offensive and defensive linemen wear. Linemen wear, and uh, you, you just hope they get the right mix so that the the instances of CTE occurring in a professional football player or any other person are greatly reduced. But, uh, you know, I don't think, you know, I know that they're trying to get there and they made great strides. I hope they continue along that vein. But at the same point in time, I know guys that I, that were, that were, uh, that people knew and were diagnosed with CTE that are still having issues and the league needs to take care of those people. And I think they are. I think they're trying to. Uh, there's a concern that I have that too many guys may be denied the right, but I don't have, again, enough information to know that may be the case. I just hope everybody that is in need of treatment gets it. Sure. Um, and uh, let me think here. So Anthony, again, in, in coming, he has some questions. So you're, so you're, you're, you're very first, you were the number two draft pick um, for the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, you got an $80 million signing bonus, right? No. No, no, you didn't. Let's just so, say that it was, it was it, no, it was nowhere near that. Right. So first year salary, uh, if I remember you telling me, it was around 40000 something like that, right? No, uh, it, was less, it was much less than that. Much less than that. So, so, so yeah. So you had that, and then you had, uh, so you had to have different jobs, you know, during the off season. The guys today don't. So, what what kind of jobs did you have during the off season while you played, and uh, and what were some other jobs that some of your teammates had? Oh shoot! You know, the uh, I worked. I actually CNS National Bank Citizens and Southern hired and uh, was kind enough to hire me, and I actually had a job in the trust department in terms of uh, helping people with estate planning, and I did that for several years. Uh, then, you know, you try to get into business for yourself. I, uh, I got in, I started doing some work, but at that time, Atlanta was booming. It was one of the hottest markets around, and I, I helped a developer in terms of buying pieces of property and doing things like that in order to uh, to get new uh, shopping centers, new stores, new buildings, new warehouses going. And I did that for a while. And then uh, uh, when she, I was, we were there, what, five or six years, and then moved on up to Baltimore. And then I, I got into business. We had uh, we moved to Arizona, uh, and I got into business there with a restaurant that we owned. And uh, that worked out well, sold that, and then got into McDonald's, which uh, parlayed the money from the sale of the restaurant into a franchise, and we worked up and got six of those. And then when I went to law school, as you know, uh, we sold those restaurants, and I uh, studied for the bar and then became a lawyer. And you've got, you know, your next career is going to be whatever you want it to be. You've done so many things. <laughs> well, next career, I think the next one's going to be retirement. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll think about that when the time comes. But I'm having a, a good time. an opportunity to help some people working with some great right. people. So I'm enjoying it right now. Good. And uh, let's see here. Did you ever, someone asked, did you ever score a touchdown as an offensive tackle? No. I once caught a pass that was deflected. We were playing, in, well, Atlanta was playing in New Orleans, and uh, Bob was, was, Bob Barry is a short quarterback. He was Bob was about 5'7", great quarterback, but not too tall. And uh, Bob went to throw the ball, and the defensive lineman 
from New Orleans tipped it, went up in the air, and it landed right in my hands. So I, I put a move on a guy, moved left, moved right, made about two yards, and it's tackled. So that was, the only, that was the only time that I caught a pass. So you averaged one yard per move? I, well, less than that. Actually, it was three or four moves. So one and a half yards per move. Well, good. So, um, well, great. And, and, uh, this is fun. I mean, I'm enjoying this, Dad. I appreciate you. You're taking the time to do this. We've had, um, uh, a podcast that I was interviewed for by a couple NFL Hall of Fame voters, Clark Judge and, um, Ira Kaufman. And Ira's the, the senior voter out of, out of Tampa. Um, and some fans of yours have really been excited to, to, uh, hear that we're doing this. And I think it's gotten some of the attention of other people that are out there, but especially for the fans, it's been great seeing their response with all of this. And, you know, there's been, there's some discrepancy with regards to Pro Bowls, but I want everybody to know that you were elected to eight Pro Bowls. You know, you were elected in 1969. You missed 70 because of knee surgery. And then you were elected in 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, and 77. All in a row. And then 78 is when you got hurt. You missed the 79 season because of that injury, and you came back in 1980, right? And, uh, yeah, so, so, I mean, obviously, from a Pro Bowl perspective, you've, you were involved in a lot of them, and, and, and it's mainly because of that fact that other guys are, who played with you in those Pro Bowls are trying to help you, like Ron Yeri and Jordan Lamalore, for example, and a few others. Um, so what was it like, this is a question I have, what was it like going to play in your very first Pro Bowl in 1969 as a rookie? Well, you know, I was in awe. Uh, the, uh, you know, back then it was the NFL and then the AFL in that year had their own Pro Bowl. Um, and I, you know, I got, I got out to the West Coast and the game was always at that point in time held in the LA Coliseum. And I'm, I'm out there with, uh, Gail Gillingham, I'm out there with uh, Roger Staubach, uh, with some great running backs, uh, great tight ends, and, you know, other teammates from Merlin Olson, Deacon Jones, that I have the most respect for. And they were just fantastic people. But, uh, you know, they, they had go, Joe Cap was out there as a, he, Joe was injured, so he didn't play, but he was out there for the Pro Bowl. And, uh, I had the opportunity to uh I think yeah I did start that game. But uh anyway the uh it was it was just a great opportunity. The one thing I remember the most it was, you know, we were the LA Coliseum has a long tunnel. We I played there in high school, college and professionally. But it has yeah. a real long tunnel. And I had a chance to go and just shake hands with every one of the teammates that uh that I was playing with and thanking them for the opportunity to get to know them. And that was probably the biggest thrill for me as a rookie, just doing that. I remember Merlin Olson being very gracious, Deacon Jones the same way. And these are guys that I played against. So it was it was more what I really discovered from that was the, the familial aspect of pro football. Uh back then there was a lot of respect for one another and the ability that you had, uh which I, I think has sort of diminished over the ages. Uh some for whatever reason, I don't know. But there was a familiar, familial aspect that I really enjoyed in getting to know those guys was was uh, just, you used, I can't think of a better word, awesome for a young guy coming into the league. And then to have those relationships through the rest of your career. I remember 
meeting Tom Mack or Freddie Dreyer or some of the other guys that I knew in midfield after a game just to see how they're doing after the contest was over. And those are the things, I think, that, that make it familial, and I keep using that word, but the NFL is a large family that hopefully that uh, that people don't forget that, that you uh, you share a common experience, and the, and the best part of that is when you can get together after the season's over and talk about the circumstances and the things that occurred during the season. That was that was made it all what made it all worthwhile. I remember there was one story you told me uh, when you were playing in that double overtime game against the Raiders, and Bert threw an interception. You ran to the Raiders sideline to help make the tackle, and there's Gene Upshaw and Arcel telling me, "Hey, let's go fishing after the season's over." <laughs> well, they did more than that. I, I we were we went out of bounds, and both Art and uh, and Gene helped me up. So I looked and said, "Hey guys, how you doing?" And it, it was just it was a con- you know they were just. We had played in some Pro Bowls together. They were gracious enough to help me up, and it, that's the way it is. It's that aspect. There, there's a. I, I don't know how it is for other backs or some receivers and that, but offensive linemen, there's a congeniality that goes on, and you have a lot of respect for one another, as I did for Gene and Art, and I'm just delighted that they would have some respect for me in that regard. Well, great. Well, I, I'm going to uh, end this one right now and just say thanks, Dad, for another great podcast. and. Um, appreciate you doing this. We've got some, you know, we're going to have some other people that want to do podcasts on your behalf. So they're going to, like Ron Arias said he wants to do one and, and a few others. And so we're going to have some people that, that want to also talk football. So you don't have to do this all the time. We're going to get some others who will do this, but I'm really enjoying this time with you and, and, uh, and learning something new every time about you, which is great. Well, you know, I never really talked a whole lot about it with you because I wanted you to be your own person. You, you don't have to live the way I did. And I was very aware of that and uh, didn't want to put any kind of pressure on you. I'm delighted that you decided to, to go the way you did in terms of playing ball and having fun with it. Uh, so those are the things that mattered to me. But having you fill or try to live in, in, in my shoes would be as, as absurd as my trying to live in yours. It's just it doesn't work because of differences in build or, or whatever else. But anyway, I just, I got to tell you, I love you, Matt, and I'm just uh, delighted to be able to do this with you. Well, glad to do it. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll end it here, but we'll do another one of these soon. All right. You take care. Talk to you soon. All right. Love you too. Bye.